And so uh, it's been six months, and I, I need to tell you my story. But to tell you my story, i got to tell you another story uh, that you might have thought of. It's a story about a guy named Jesus. See, the last Sunday I was here, we talked about how it's all about Jesus. And so for this first Sunday back, we need to talk about Jesus. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and this story is my story. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Stop right there. Uh, just right from the beginning here, we find out Jesus has, has moved to Capernaum, and he comes home to Capernaum, and Capernaum is a place where Jesus did more miracles than any other place, and yet they did not believe in him. Which gives lie to the idea that a lot of us have is that if we just saw more miracles, we would have faith. And if more people saw miracles, they would have faith. It's kind of the idea we have. But if you look at Capernaum, they saw a lot of miracles and they didn't have faith because miracles don't create faith. Faith creates miracles. Right? It, you, you don't see the miracle and then believe. You believe and then you see the miracle. So they said that Jesus had come home. N.T. Wright points out that most probably this is when it says he's come home. It actually means his home. So we're, at like, we're actually in Jesus' house, which is going to be really interesting in a few moments when we get into this story, that this is maybe his house. The Amplified Version says Jesus was in the house. I like that. Jesus was in the house because you know it's going to be a good story, right? So from verse 1, we know if Jesus is in the house, it's going to be a good story. So what? So get your hopes up. It's like when, you know, whenever I was a kid, you know, reading Chronicles of Narnia, whenever Aslan showed up, you got really excited because you know something getting ready to happen. Right? Because if, when Aslan, you don't know what it is, but when Aslan shows up, something is going to, it's like, watch this, watch this. I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. And so Jesus was in the house. And I just want to say this morning, um, Jesus is in the house. Here. Right now. So what? So get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. If you need a touch from the Lord, get your hopes up. Jesus is in the house. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. It's interesting. Luke chapter 5 tells the same story, but it adds a line. It says, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Now, isn't this interesting? Here's Jesus walking around full of the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to heal people. And even with Jesus, there were times where the power of the Lord was present in a special way to heal. And this was one of those days. The power of the Lord was present to heal, and, and I want to say it again, I've, I've been looking towards this day for a long time, and I believe that the power of the Lord is present here to heal. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, stop right there. Now, uh, we don't know much about this paralytic. We don't know if he's a paraplegic, he's a quadriplegic. We don't know uh, anything really about him, and we don't even know his name. And if you've been around New Life Church for a while, you know when you're reading the Gospels and we're introduced to somebody who doesn't have a name, they're faceless, what are we supposed to do? 
put our face in there, right? This is a literary device by the gospel authors, and all of them do it. John is brilliant at it, but so is Mark. They do this. They have these faceless people, and it's a literary device for you to put yourself in their shoes, and you encounter Jesus for yourself. You're supposed to discover. This, this today is you meeting Jesus for yourself. So be the paralytic. What, what would that be like? Just, just think like that. Don't, don't read that too. I think sometimes we read too quickly. What would it be like to be paralyzed? Well, obviously you can't move. I, I've, I've been in a lot of hospitals. And I've met a lot of paralyzed people, and some of them have told me that in the place where they're paralyzed, where there's paralysis, it's not that they feel pain, they just feel nothing. They're numb. They're just numb. And, and then there's some, some people that have been paralyzed who have told me they feel excruciating pain. So maybe this guy's feeling numb. Maybe he's feeling terrible, horrible pain we don't know. But when you're paralyzed like this, you're, you're, you're dependent on other people for everything. He's totally, it's not just that he's lost ability to move, he's lost his independence. Somebody else has got to feed him, somebody else has got to clean him. What would that feel like? Be him for just a second. And, and don't be him in, in, in our culture today, be him in, in that culture, because in that culture, the idea was that if you're paralyzed, it's because you sinned. Something's wrong. What's wrong with you? If you're sick, if you're ill, it, it must have been. In fact, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, the disciples see a guy who's been, uh, you know, was born blind, and they go, hey, Jesus, so was it his parents who sinned or he who sinned because he was, you know, and that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus goes, oh, oh, dear me, uh, you don't get it. But the whole idea was, if you're paralyzed, you deserved it. So it's not only that he's lost movement, it's not only he's lost independence, but now he's alienated because he's a bad person. The idea is you sin more than everybody else. You're paralyzed. What would that feel like? And it wasn't just the culture that, that it kind of implied that. In the law of God, in Leviticus 21, it says that if there's a priest who becomes paralyzed, in fact, he doesn't even have to be paralyzed, he can just be lame. If there's a priest who is lame, he's not allowed into the Holy of Holies, which was the locus of God's presence on the earth. And the other, in other words, so the, this is what the Jews believe. Listen, if you're paralyzed, you're not allowed into the presence of God. You're an outsider. Now, here's the irony. Where are they bringing him? Into the presence of God himself. Jesus, who was the locus of God's presence on the earth. They're bringing him to Jesus. Paralyzed. You ever been paralyzed? I don't mean just physically. There's a lot of ways to be paralyzed. Warren Wiersbe says, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. You want to paralyze your marriage? You want to paralyze your relationship with your sons or daughters? Just believe they can't ever change. That's not the only thing that, that paralyzes. You, you, other things paralyze, like trauma. You can experience trauma, and that can be a paralyzing thing. Shame. For something that was done to you or something that you did to somebody else, you feel shame. It can paralyze you. Addictions, fear paralyzes, unforgiveness, debt, sin, 
You ever been paralyzed? Bono, who's the lead singer of the greatest rock band on the earth, U2, <laughs> has a song and he has this line in it that says, you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. You ever felt that? You ever felt like stuck? Like you're paralyzed? Well, if you have, I don't have any condemnation for you here today. If you're paralyzed right now, listen to the rest of the story. So men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. So get the picture here. They're bringing him and they're carrying him on this mat. He can't walk himself. They're bringing him to Jesus. And as they walk up, they're bringing him not to a philosophy. They're bringing him to a person. They're not bringing the paralyzed guy uh, to a religion. They're bringing him to Jesus. They're not, please hear me, they're not even bringing him to church. Because listen, when you're paralyzed, you don't need more religion. You need Jesus. When, when, listen, when you're paralyzed, you don't need a philosophy. You, need, you don't even need more church. You need Jesus. So it says they've taken him to Jesus, but there's this crowd there, and they can't get in, but they don't let that uh, keep them back. So they go up on the roof, and it says, and it's this, actually the Greek here is actually quite funny. Uh, it, the literal of the Greek says, they unroofed the roof. That's the, they, unroofed, they raised the roof. Because they're not going to let something stop them from getting their friend to Jesus. They might look bad. Doesn't matter. They're going to get their friend to Jesus. They're going to, you know, they're putting a hole in Jesus' roof. This is one of the reasons I know he was a son of God because if one of you yahoos come to my house today and put a hole in my roof, I ain't going to say what Jesus said. They will not be turned back. So they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, because they had like these flat roofs, they had these beams, and it was like earth that was on top. So they, they actually went up a staircase on the outside. They're on this roof. They dig a hole in the roof, and they lower, it says here, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, not the paralyzed guy, the friends of the paralyzed guy. Not, not the guy who needs the healing. The, 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 the friends who are not going to be deterred. They're not going to be pushed back. They're going to get their friend to Jesus. When he saw their faith. The first time I read that, I thought, well, wow, Jesus can see stuff nobody else can see. Because you can't see faith. Or can you? See, when you have faith, it, it affects what you do. It affects how you live. And so Jesus sees these guys digging a hole in his roof. And he says, wow. When he saw their faith, they would not be deterred. They're getting their friend to Jesus. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, it's the best thing this guy could have heard. 
And he says, son, it's not, he's so, he, only one other time in, in the Gospel of Mark does Jesus use this term for disciples. Later on in chapter 10, he says, children, and, and it's the same Greek word here that's used as son. And in Matthew, he says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I mean, like, is that really what he needed? Because, you know, if you, if you had like a, a back problem today and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, uh, don't worry, your sins are forgiven, you'd probably say, that's great, but I got Jesus for that. I need a pain pill. <laughs> so is this really most important? And then others of you might be thinking, really, are we talking about the sin thing again? Because, I mean, you know, don't we live in this postmodern era where, you know, what's right for me might not be right for you, what's wrong for me might not be wrong for you. It's all relative, you know, and is it, do we really need to talk about sin Yes, we do. Because just take for a second, put God's law aside and God's standard aside for a moment. You and I, we all have standards that we don't even live up to. We don't even live up to our own standards. We know we, we've fallen short. Every one of us know that. I was talking to a guy at, uh, I don't know, Starbucks or something like that one time. And he said, you know, you Christians got a whole bunch of rules. You got hundreds of rules. And I thought, really? I just love it when people tell me what I believe. But it, it's great. Uh, and, he, and I said, well, what about you? He said, I got one rule. I got one rule. I'm like, okay, what's your rule? He said, don't hurt anybody. Just don't hurt anybody. That's all the rule. That's the only rule you need. Just don't hurt nobody. I said, have you ever broken that rule? He said, what do you mean? Uh, have you ever hurt anybody? I said, have you ever been a jerk to your wife and hurt her feelings? He said, hasn't every husband been a jerk at some time? I'm like, I know. <laughs> I said, so, so let me get this straight. You had one rule and you couldn't keep it. You're like a kicker in football. You had one job. <laughs> one job. And you could do it. Because what? We all know we don't even live, forget God said, we don't even live up to our own standards. We know there's something wrong with us. I was kind of helpful with this, that how even people who don't believe in the Lord actually know this inside. Uh, there was a, a novel written by a guy named Franz Kafka. Now, you probably remember Kafka uh, from a short, like, lit class in high school and college. He wrote a lot of short stories. He wrote Metamorphosis, which was about a dude who becomes a bug, which is kind of weird. But uh, he was known for his short stories. But he also wrote three novels, none of which will ever be made into Disney movies. Okay. And, and one of them that he wrote was called The Trial. It's very interesting, and it, it kind of gives us a picture of how people who don't even know the Lord know that, they don't, that they've fallen short in some way. And in this novel, the protagonist is a guy named Joseph K., and Joseph K. wakes up on his 30th birthday to find two guards in his bedroom and that he's been accused of a horrible crime. And when he asks what the horrible crime was, they can't tell him. Nobody can tell him. He was like, well, well what, what did I do? Well, it's very serious. Very serious what you did. Yeah, we can't believe that you would do that. Like, he doesn't know how to defend himself. He's a banker. He's an executive at a bank, interestingly enough, at 30 years old. And so and as the story goes on, he's accused, and there's a high judge, and there's a high trial, a, a court, but he never can see the court. He can never see the judge, and nobody ever tells him what he's being accused of. He just knows he doesn't measure. Somebody's accusing him of something really. It's very serious. It's very serious. And so he begins to think, well, maybe it was this. Uh, nobody knew about that. Maybe it was this. And he's beginning to think of all these things, these standards he had for himself that he broke. And he knows it, but he didn't think anybody else knew it. 
And he feels the shame, and he's carrying this guilt and this weight around, and, and he's under house arrest part of the time, and he goes to jail, and then he goes to prison. And then, and then at the end of the book, we get to the last chapter, and the guards take him out into the woods, and one of them puts their hand on his throat, and the other takes a knife and puts it in his heart and twists it. And right before he dies, he says, like a dog. And then he dies, and that's the end of the book. I, did I mention this probably would not be made into a Disney movie? Okay. Now, here's what, some of you are thinking, that's absurd. And it is absurd, and that was Kafka's point. That was his point. There's a lot of different ways to read Kafka, but I'm going to give you the right one. Because it's Tim Keller's, okay? So here's the way to read Kafka. Here's what Kafka's saying. We're all on trial. We all feel it. There's a judge out there, and we, there's a standard that we've broken, and we might not even know what the rule is. We might not even know what we've done, but we know inside us, we, account, we don't even live up to our standards, much less anybody else's standards. Now, here's where Kafka and Jesus agree, and if Kafka and Jesus ever agree on anything ever, you should pay attention. And where they agree is there is a judge, there is a standard, there is a right and wrong. But whereas Kafka says it's all absurd, and we're going to live our life, and we're going to die like an animal. That's the whole point of that last sentence, like a dog. We're all going to die like animals. We're just animals, and it's all, all of life is just absurd. That's, that's Kafka's answer. Jesus says, no, there is a judge, there is a right and wrong, but I'm going to die for you. And so when he says to this young man who's paralyzed, when he sees their faith and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. It's the best thing this man could hear. The alienation he's been feeling, being outside the community, being one who's not allowed into the presence of God, being one who can't move, the one who's lost all independence, the one who's dependent on everybody else to care for him. He now has this beautiful thing, this, this connect. He's no longer alienated. So you'd think everybody would be happy, right? See, if you're, if you're here today and, and you're like this guy and you're experiencing some para- paralysis of some sort in your life right now, I want you to know Jesus does not condemn you. Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. John, John 3, Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So if you're paralyzed in some area, today I want you to hear Jesus speaking to you. Son. Daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Well, everybody's not so happy. Verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law, uh, the Gospel of Luke says it was also Pharisees there. The teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, stop right there for just a second. Of course, they're right, and they're totally wrong at the same time. Do you understand that this can happen? Do you understand? This is very important that you guys get this, okay? You can be absolutely right and absolutely wrong at the same time. You can have the facts right and the wrong spirit. And guess which one people are going to remember? Well, of course they're right. Who can forgive God's sins but God alone? I mean, like, you know, if, if after the because only the person who's been offended had the sin caused against them can forgive, right? So if, if, um, uh, if after service, you know, Shannon gets into it with Dominic and he punches him in the mouth, 
It's not going to happen. This is the only story. Uh, illustration. If he punches Dominic right in the mouth, Dominic goes, bam. And then he bows up like he's going to hit. And then I jump down in between him and go, no, 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 it's okay, Dominic. Shannon, I forgive you. What's Dominic going to say? He's going to say, well, I'm glad you came back after six months, but he didn't punch you in the mouth. Why? Because the one who sinned against is the one who, who forgives, right? And so, and so are, are the Pharisees right here? That, that Yes, they are right, and, and they don't even know who he is. That he was the one who was sinned against. He is God incarnate, but they don't know that. So in essence, are, are they right? Yes, they are right, but they're dead wrong. Why? Because they don't even care about the paralyzed guy. There's a paralyzed guy right there who's alienated. He's on the outside. Maybe he's in excruciating pain. Maybe he's just numbed to everything. I don't know, but he's right there, and they don't give a rip about the paralyzed guy. They just care about doctrinal purity, theological precision. And just before we go anywhere else, let me just say I'm all for doctrinal purity. Okay? I now have a degree from the Southern Baptist Theological, not a Southern Baptist Theological, the <laughs> Southern Baptist Theological. So, so, so I, listen, for all the stealth Baptists in the room, uh, <laughs> I, so I believe in that, but listen to me, not when doctrinal purity is used as a weapon on a paralyzed guy. And too many times, you guys, especially in the political arena and in our culture, we are right and we are dead wrong. It's good for us as a church to remember that. It matters what spirit we have towards the paralyzed guy. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit. Just stop right there. You know, there's different ways to know things. There's a whole discipline in philosophy called epistemology. It's just about how we know, what, what qualifies as knowledge, and what gives us warrant to say we know something. And there's a whole discipline of philosophy. I'm not even going to go there, except to say there's different ways of knowing things. And sometimes you just know in your spirit. I, I don't even, there, there are times when you, can't, you know something, but you can't articulate. You, can't, you don't have the words for it to articulate. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had this where you just, you can't say why, you, but you just know in your spirit. Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? In, in, in Matthew, he's a little bit harsher. He says, why are you having these evil thoughts? He doesn't say just bad thoughts. He's like evil thoughts. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite self-designation, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we ain't never seen anything like this. And of course they hadn't. Now, obviously, the story here is about the fact that, that Jesus was who he said he was, that he did have the authority to forgive sins because he was God incarnate, and he had the authority to heal the paralyzed guy. 
And of course, that's the big idea. But I want you to know something. This story is my story. Because six months ago, I was paralyzed. Not physically. But in a lot of other ways. And I'm not even going to get into them all today. I'm not going to get into any of them today. There's a number of things, a number of reasons for it. But now it got to a, a dark place. And, and I understand that me even telling you this this morning risks the fact that after service there could be some of the Pharisees that come up and go, what's wrong with you? Don't you know preachers aren't supposed to be paralyzed? Don't you know Leviticus chapter 21 that you've never read? But Leviticus chapter 21 <laughs> says that a priest who's paralyzed can't go into the presence of God. Don't you know that? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I realize that, but I feel like I need to share this with you, that it was a dark place where, along with Paul, I could say I despaired even of life. But isn't it the beautiful thing that that's not where the story ends? Because like this paralyzed guy, I got some friends. I got some friends. And the elders of New Life Church, you know what they said? We don't care what it looks like. We got to take our friend to Jesus. And maybe there's a crowd and maybe we can't get in. What are we going to do? We're going to dig a hole in the roof. And if it means a long sabbatical, it means a long sabbatical. But we taking our friend to Jesus. And the elders didn't care what it looked like. They cared about the paralyzed guy. I want to be a part of a church like that. It wasn't just the elders, the, the staff team. A number of men here in this church would check in on me, send me a text here or there or an email or whatever, just love you and checking in. Pastor Steve Turpin from Trinity would check in and he, they're here today. He and Lisa are here today just to stand beside Marlene and I and just say we're with you. And that, that takes us a commitment to leave their service, to come here to be with us as a church to say that Trinity stands with new life and they care about paralyzed people. In fact, on occasion Steve would send me a text, he would say something like man of God. Hey man of God, how you doing? And, and at a time when I felt like a lot of things, man of God wasn't one of them. But you know what? He was just saying what God said. You know, when somebody's paralyzed, you can say what the devil says to them, but they already hear that voice. So don't even waste your time. Just say what God says about them. And so, for the last six months, Marlene and I have been healing, have been listening to what God says. We've, I've, been, I've been hearing Jesus say, son, son. See, it's very easy for all of us here. It's not just pastors. It's very easy for all of us to feel like our acceptance by God is on the basis of our service for him. And it's never that. 
God loves you more than anything you ever do for him. Are you, are you, I know some of you are like, yeah, yeah, right, right, well, wait. no, 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 let it in. God loves you no matter what. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less because his love's not based on you, goofball. So I've been hearing him say, son. Your sins are forgiven. And then, get up, take your mat, and go home. So today is, is part of me saying, we're coming home, and we'll be full-time on Palm Sunday. It's the first Sunday of April. going to be back. It was going to be Easter, but Easter shouldn't be about anything other than Jesus getting up out of the grave. So we're going to come back on Palm Sunday. It'll be our first Sunday back, and then Easter Sunday, we're going to have a rip-roaring celebration of Jesus raising the dead. And the text here ends this. Did you, did you pick up on this? The people are amazed, and they said, we have never seen anything like this. You know what? I think a lot of people in the world, they, they do see a lot of pastors uh, who, what, for whatever reason, get paralyzed, and then people just say, okay, we got to get in somebody else. You're paralyzed. I think what we're seeing here is something that a lot of people have never seen before. A paralyzed guy getting up and walking because he had friends that took him to Jesus. Now, here's what I know, because I know some of you. If I experience some paralysis, so have you. And there may be some of you right now, that's what you're feeling. You may be in a dark place right now. And this is my effort, this message is my effort to bring you to Jesus. I don't want to bring you to church, I don't want to bring you to religion, I want to bring you to Jesus. Because Jesus knows what you're feeling right now. I feel like I, I may know something of what you're feeling. I maybe know, maybe not in the same situation that you're in, but I, but I do know something about being paralyzed. I do know something about being in a dark place. I get that. I, I, I know what that's like. But let me tell you what's more important. Jesus knows what you're feeling. Because he was paralyzed. Did you know that? Johnny Erickson Tata tells a story about when, you, I don't know if you know her story, she dove into a lake, I think, and, and she became a quadriplegic, and for the, uh, the first couple of years, actually, after that happened, she was full of rage, anger, she wanted to die, and on one occasion, she was just in a deep depression, because she couldn't even kill herself. She needed help to kill herself. And her friend, whose name was Cindy, said to her, she said, Johnny, Jesus knows how you feel. She said, what are you talking about? He was paralyzed. When he was on the cross, and his back was beaten raw, just like you get bed sores sometimes, Johnny. And they nailed him to a tree, and he couldn't move. And he wasn't numb. He was in excruciating pain. So he knows how you feel. 
And so maybe you're here today. It's not only that Jesus is not here to condemn you, but to save you. It's that he, he knows what that feels like. And here's even better news. He conquered it. See, because he didn't stay on the cross. I don't know if you know, Jesus is not on the cross today. He didn't stay on the cross. They took him off the tree and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, the stone was rolled away. He emerged victorious. You see, he took everything, all the sin, all the sickness, all the threats to our life, everything that tries to paralyze us, Jesus took on himself in the cross. He took it into the grave, and when he came out, he triumphed over it. He killed it. He rules. He reigns. He's above all. And so whatever it is that has you paralyzed, it is not greater than Jesus.